Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to the fifth season of Camille's Demi Hour. This is a half-hour show dedicated to sharing the Epicurean life and personal stories from Nantucket and beyond. I'll be speaking with a great mix of guests this year, from winemakers and chefs to innovative pioneers in the world of hospitality and healthy living. Thanks again for listening to the show, and cheers! Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening. This is Camille Broderick, host of Camille's Demi Hour. And we are here speaking with Rita Higgins, a local Nantucketer who is the founder of 100 Mile Makers, this fascinating, awesome local programming for all great artisans, farmers, great talent within the 100 mile radius of Nantucket. Rita's on the show to talk about how this came to be, what she wants it to be in the future, and what we can do to maybe help her. Rita, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I love every opportunity to talk about local food. Thank Great. you. Well, me too, and or just food in general, really. Again, that's why the show was created. Yeah. So um, you were referred to me by a mutual friend, Amy Zelensky, who uh, was the executive director of Sustainable Nantucket. And now uh, she's mentioned you and what you were doing. I was fascinated, and I wanted to hear how this came to be and, and tell you tell us your story. You know, for me, food wasn't something that was on my radar other than, uh, you know, fighting over boxes of Cheez-Its with my little brother. It was something that really came to me later in life. I grew up in upstate New York. My uncle did have a garlic farm, which um, I spent a lot of summer hours weeding garlic and planting garlic and working with him. And he had a small production kitchen where we would make these garlic aiolis. So that was sort of my food experience growing up. I went on to study environment and development at university, where I really got into plants agroforestry. So that was a little bit of a tangent to food, looking at how you can grow things more sustainably using trees, which was fascinating, which led to forestry, which led me to landscapes, which led me to Nantucket, where here my main work is landscape design with an ecological focus, with a side of politics, and then now a side of food. And a typical Nantucketer, one who has their yeah. hand in, in a kind of all little pots in the community. Exactly. exactly. It's hard not to. You know, it's, it's such an amazing place to be living and working. And I think it provides so much opportunity. You can have ideas and it's a, such a supportive community. You can kind of give them a go. It's a pretty safe spot. It's sometimes hard to get your foot in the door because of the cost of things at the start. But it's definitely a great place um, to try, try out ideas. I had family out here back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and so we would have come out, um, I would have come out before I can even remember uh, to visit family, and then uh, later on I would have just come out for summers. And then it was 2003, I came, I came back, and I'd actually just been working in forestry and loved living in the woods and um, working in the woods and ended up on Nantucket because I also surf. And at first I thought uh, landscaping and landscape design and all that was a little bit frilly and not tough enough because when you're planting trees in the woods in Canada, you're sort of, you've got bear spray and you've got, you know, one peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the entire day. But I really fell in love with the island and so spent four years here, met my future husband, moved to Ireland. We were there for six years and then came back. So I think, again, a very typical Nantucket story where you sort of, you leave and then you come back and you leave and you come back and you just, you really do sort of, your heartstrings get pulled back. 
don't it's they? Kind of an angering thought. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a common thread in a lot of the guests. They do tell that story that they left and then they come back and it is um mm-hmm. once it's in you it's it, it, it kind of it, it gets a hold of your soul. Yeah. So, it really does. So let's hear about 100 Mile Makers. Obviously the local food movement is extremely popular um, but it's not just about organic uh, which is debatable on how that's also actually rated and tested mm-hmm. and uh, which is another conversation but uh, the local mm-hmm. is is kind of the more trustworthy type of purchase when it comes to your mm-hmm. meat your dairy uh, your vegetables things like that like the the bumper sticker says know your farmer so yeah. the the 100 mile maker concept of having everybody within 100 miles tell us more about that it really uh it, it kind of came from two places that one it came from the side of the consumer where i because i pay attention to local food i know how much local food is out there and particularly on nantucket particularly in the winter it become can become so frustrating because you know it's there it's right there across the water and yet, in winter, you go into the grocery stores and everything's from California and from Mexico and from so far away. And the quality really is different. I was going to the Winter Farmer's Market in Providence a couple times, and you can get amazing carrots and amazing potatoes, and it's all right there. But we really do have an access problem. So I just really wanted to highlight all these local businesses, not just produce, but um, I think about a lot about non-perishables or you know, cookies or condiments, things, things like that that go above and beyond just the produce. There are so many small producers within 100 miles of us. Um, and how do we get access to them? How do we get them to Nantucket? How do we know when they are here? Because there, there are a couple shops that have quite a few local producers, but they sort of get lost in the... Um, sort of get lost in the mix because it you know, comes down to who has the best branding as opposed to who, you know, who might be local. And I've definitely, you know, when you start reading the labels and you're already reading them for nutrition and you're reading them for ingredients and then you add on the locality, it becomes a pretty burdensome shopping experience. So as a consumer, I was, I was just frustrated with knowing that, again, there's so much local close by and we just can't quite get our hands on it. Then, having been a producer, so um, I had spent uh, three months on my uncle's farm a couple years ago. One winter, took a couple months off of Nantucket and worked in his office, and he has these aiolis he's been doing for 20 years. Um, I also was a producer when I lived back in Ireland. I was producing microgreens. And it just dawned on me that, interestingly, the same problems and questions I was having in Ireland with microgreens related to distribution and getting into shops and stores with the exact same problems that my uncle was still having 15, 20 years into his business. And so the 100 miles for me came out of a realization that a lot of small producers self-distribute and they will always self-distribute. And that 100 miles is roughly what a small producer would be able to drive with a full van or a full load in a day, drop off and come back. Right. Um, It was sort of the sense of what is practical if we acknowledge that the way small producers work, rather than trying to get them to fit into this really big food distribution system, um, how are they already operating and how can we facilitate that? And then when you look at 100 miles, I mean, it's incredible. We could probably get lemons from within 100 miles of Nantucket. There are some places that would be growing them in greenhouses. So when you think about your day-to-day and some of your food staples, there's you know, there's so many options and they're out there. There's just this disconnect in the system 
largely because it's built for big business and centralization of food. I guess that's the challenge. Like you said, you're trying to kind of create a yellow pages for these for these people and having mm-hmm. access to it without having to kind of weed through all the other products. Obviously, from yeah. a consumer perspective and for someone like myself who just loves good food, the, the access is great and obviously just supporting local people and having a good product. But why do you think it's important for community? And what do you think on like a more economical social scale doesn't really make a difference? I think local, it really hits uh, what is becoming a bit of a popular tagline, but the people, planet, profit. I think from a people point of view, going back to a point that you made earlier, that when you're buying local, you have the opportunity to uh, get to know the people you're buying from, how they operate, um, how passionate they are. I, I can't even, it blows my mind sometimes how passionate each of the producers are, whether they're making jewelry or they're making jams or cookies or they're growing potatoes. Um, they are truly doing something that they're passionate about. It is rarely for the money. Right. Um, That's true. So, and I think if you're yeah, going to stop everything to make jam, if you're going to stop everything to make jam, you're not really on the on the path no. to become a millionaire overnight. <laughs> overnight. No. no, and it's hard work, and you know it's hard to scale and get it to that point where, you know, you're really making money. So a lot of it is a labor of love, and so I think knowing that and that that sort of labor of love is going into whether it's the mug you're holding your hand in or the tea that's been blended, um, that definitely equates itself to a level of quality that you you can't get when we're so disconnected just grabbing it off grocery store shelves not knowing where it comes from i also think it links back to the environment in a way because i think sometimes not all producers are organic or you know ecologically farming or using all organic materials probably most of them aren't but you have that opportunity to have the conversation about what's important to you about what's important to the community and you can sort of support the community and support the change in conversation through those, through that dialogue when you're dealing with local. Um, and then I think from the environmental point of view as well, just I often um, calculate my carbon footprint of my meal, particularly when I've got a lot of local things because I know I'm going to get a good score. But, um, you know, just any opportunity we have to decrease the food miles or the product miles or, or whatever it is, I think that is really important and significant in looking at how we're dealing with climate change, even on a small scale in our everyday activities. Lastly, the profits, really more the economics of buying local is that, you know, spending money locally is more likely to stay local. Um, and I think that's really important for supporting resilient communities, economically resilient communities and supporting, uh, again, your neighbors in their efforts. I'm moved. I am. It's so nice to actually think about these things. Sometimes we don't, we know it's the right thing, but then when you think about it, it's really a long-term effect uh, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Rita Higgins. She is the founder of 100 Mile Makers, this awesome concept of sourcing local foods within a 100-mile radius of Nantucket and bringing these awesome products, not just food, but also non-perishable things, bracelets, cool clothes to to the island and obviously helping the community around us. We were having a discussion about maybe the concept of franchising this I don't really like the word franchising when we're talking about lo- when we're talking about local, yeah. but having sort of a hundred mile maker concept in other in other areas around the country because for me I 
I feel like there's a need online for websites that actually have a list of local makers, whether it's for um, anything from clothes to obviously food and groceries. You recently went to a a tech and sort of food conference in New York City. What are your thoughts on Mm -hmm. sort of a more of a larger sort of platform for this knowledge? Like where is this knowledge of, of your local sort of um, there should be like a, a network they all join or something. Is there stuff out there that I don't yeah. even know about? Um, there's not yet, not necessarily particularly for uh, particularly for what you would call the sort of business to consumer. There are definitely more and more opportunities. Uh, a lot of people are working in the, the farm space and the produce space and the sort of the fresh agricultural meat space in terms of connecting businesses to businesses. And even to a certain extent, you know, something like butcher box isn't necessarily local, but you have a little more understanding of where it might be coming from. Hmm, so right. uh, there's a bit going on, but a lot of it is really business to business um, and less so, as far as I can tell, business to consumer. And I think, you know, I, I went to this food and technology conference because I think that there are a lot of things that small producers do on a day-to-day basis that have nothing to do with technology. And I've found uh, myself included Uh, that a lot of small producers are a little bit technologically averse. Maybe that's a generational thing that will change over time. Um, But even sort of when a farmer's in a field or, you know, they're not going to sit down at a computer and fill in a spreadsheet. Um, Or, you know, if you're making your pots and things like that, you might take photos for Instagram. But, you know, that's that's about it. Yeah, it's kind Um, of a right-left brain thing. You're not – Yeah. if you're growing and producing, you're more the creative side. You're not really running the business and thinking necessarily – um, on those no. on those lines, right? No, and a lot of times, you know, it's funny. A lot of times, your hands are covered in muck, and you know, you're just not pulling out your phone and, and thinking to sort of enter things in. But I still think that there are a lot of opportunities where uh, it's just some very simple technology things in a way that already exists, um, allowing producers to connect to their audience and a more targeted audience than say even Instagram or Facebook, just to let people know where they are, where can you find them, where can you buy them? I think a lot of times about when I want to buy a gift for someone. Uh, you know, you could go to Etsy, you could go to Amazon, you can go to the you know, local shops who might have something local. But I know there are so many amazing people on Nantucket and it's, you know, I can't find their phone number or I don't have their email. And I just, what I'm envisioning is an ability to use technology in a way where you have that instant access to understand who's local, who's doing what, and how can you find them. So, so that's ex- where I see technology playing a part. So how does 100 Mile Makers work in that sense? I mean, are you thinking about creating a database for people to sort of sign on, join in, and maybe people just buy direct? Or how? what, what, what are yeah. you thinking about for the future for 100 Mile Makers? Yeah, I think it, you know, I think of it as um, a platform to connect, uh, kind of a, a local finder, sort of opening the lines of communication so that the convenience is improved for the consumer. The, and that comes back to the access. Do you even know it exists? And then can you actually purchase it right. once it's there? You might have 10,000 followers, but you know only a small percentage of them might be from Nantucket or even say from within 100 miles. So um, how do you, when you have something that you genuinely are trying to sell then and there, and it's a very physical, tangible product that you're not you know, shipping to California, how do you target that audience? And, you know, when I think about that, sometimes it's, you know, are there enough people like myself and, and probably you who are seeking that out? That's that's sort of the big question. And, you know, with the technology at the moment, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit 
of all the things I think about with 100 mile makers, um, it's the one that I'm most a fish out of water with because I don't have a background in technology. So I'm, I'm doing some sort of very low tech sort of experiments with, uh, testing that theory, you know, are there enough people out there who are interested and is there something that I could provide as a service to small producers that would be, uh, easy to use and, and beneficial to them at the same time. Yeah. Uh, statistically, I do wonder if the the consumers like you and I are growing or if it's because since we're in this sector and we know this and we've been working in mm-hmm. food for so long, I do wonder mm-hmm. statistically, is the local product and producer growing? My thoughts are, are we in a place where things are advancing in that in that local world? Is the demand there? What mm-hmm. are your thoughts on that? It's hard to say. Yes, because I think a lot of it, that's what I want the answer to be. Right, right. <laughs> and um, trying to just be as, as realistic as possible. I, I do still think that the trend is there. It's, it is just very difficult. The logistics of keeping things small and getting things from point A to point B when you're dealing with many people instead of one big you know, industrial farm or industrial, uh, it's really difficult. So I think it's going to be slow, but I do think it's there. And I actually feel, so where I've, where I've been most active with 100 Mile Makers is the events. And I think that there are a lot of people that would like to buy more local. Um, so there's sort of the, the people that maybe don't think about it, uh, you know, 100% of the time or maybe even 60% of the time. But if the option was there and they knew the stories behind the producers and they'd met them and they, or they had the opportunity to hear about them or read about them, that they would seek it out. I think local will be something more long-term as people really want to connect with their food source. More, I'm, I'm hearing more and more people just being a little bit suspicious about where their food comes from. And the easiest way to know where your food comes from is when it comes from somewhere close by. Yeah. So I think that is going to become increasingly important. Yeah, the trust is important with uh, the product mm-hmm. and what you're consuming, what you're buying. Uh, I think people, mm-hmm. the consumer now, the newer generation is wanting to buy for value and for stories, they say. It's more, mm-hmm. they, 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 they're a little bit more conscious about what they're buying, period. This is Camila Broderick, host of Camille's Demi Hour, and we are speaking with Rita Higgins, the founder of 100 Mile Makers, and we are just talking about the effects of local purchasing and what is available to the consumer and what it means to our growing society, really. Is this just a trend? Is this really important to us? What about some local favorite vendors of yours on Nantucket? Who have you discovered through 100 Mile Makers? So that is possibly one of the most difficult questions you could ask, (laughs) because every time I meet someone uh, new, and I really haven't met enough of them, you do sort of tend to just fall in love a little bit. There are so many people doing things forever. I've been totally enchanted by Nell Van Voorst's porcelain work and her mugs. There's just something about the weight of her mugs, and I love that the artwork is always nature-based so that would definitely be one of my personal favorites and well, what's the name again from it, uh, Nell Van Voorst she makes the most beautiful mugs and platters have you done dinners with her products or how do you say you'll help her you know my my goal with most of the events is to try and make them as intimate as possible and try and make them an opportunity for people to really have a conversation 
I think a lot of the times as well, makers are, they're sort of standing behind the counter. They're standing, you know, if they're at a farmer's market, they're, they're always in that selling mode. And while the, some of the dinners that we have, you know, I really try and make an effort to get as many of the growers and people involved in um, the things on the table, whether it's the mug they made or the, um, and we have featured, uh, we featured Tracy Daly, who also does um, ceramic ware. Uh, we did feature, we used, she actually made us these special little tasting cups for one of our dinners. And then she was at the dinner and you know, she was a guest. And so there's an opportunity there to just sit and be a guest and have a conversation as opposed to always being in this sell, uh, sort of sales, seller, buyer mode, which I think is also important in sort of telling stories, connecting to people, uh, things like that. So the events we do, we sort of get inspired by makers uh, that we've come across and we look for ways to feature them or we get inspired by the season and then we look for makers that we could feature and tie them into the season. Um, and doing a lot of, you know, again, sort of pop-ups that are maybe just slightly different than um, than the ones that we usually come across. Um, one, of the, one of the ones I really enjoyed, we did a, a dinner and a movie, a farm-to-table dinner and movie at Pumpkin Pond Farm. And we had um, a beautiful seasonal spread, um, all within 100 miles. And then we watched a movie about agriculture in Hawaii in the greenhouse. Uh, so that was, again, just something a little bit different. And I, a couple people mentioned afterwards that that meal meant something very different after watching that movie than it had before. Yeah, I guess like you said earlier, um, we're buying and connecting with our products a little bit differently these days. Um, we mm-hmm. want sort of meaning involved. There's the mm-hmm. consciousness of what we're doing is more attentive. Mm-hmm. And like an old colleague and good friend of mine would say, you know, don't be a witness to life. Be a participant. Like mm-hmm. get involved. Mm-hmm. And whether or not yeah. you want to get involved, uh, the point is when you do get involved – you can evolve, you can change, you can think differently. And I think, um, mm-hmm. personally, I think we're on this planet to, yes, produce, but we're also here to evolve mm-hmm. and grow on our own. So I think hearing other people's stories, that's always a connection, even psychologically with people, how you adapt and understand what that person is mm-hmm. experiencing. I guess when it comes to food, I'm 100% behind those people. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. And I just woke up one morning and just had this feeling of, you know, nothing is more important than food when it comes to our connection to the land and in terms of some sort of everyday sense of stewardship. And so I think that, like you were saying, that as a conscious consumer, you can sort of use that in the choices, uh, sort of use that perspective in the choices that you make every day, every time you make a purchase. Well, it sounds like a, a good start. You got to start somewhere, right? Rita, yeah. really, really interesting speaking with you. And I wish you lots of luck with this this program, this project, this passion of yours. Thank and you. uh, is there a newsletter? Is there any um, place where people can go to get access to these events? Or how do we sign up? Yes, you can go to our website, which is 100milemakers.com. And we do have a newsletter that you can sign up for. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rita. And I'm just excited to learn more about some other awesome goodies out there. Always interested in more goodies. Thank you again for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
And thanks again for listening to Camille's Demi Hour on Nantucket's NPR station. Tune in every weekend through Labor Day on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. Saturday mornings at 1030 and Sundays at 1130. If you want to hear the full episodes, you can find me on iTunes. Cheers. Oh, yeah.